buying a bar without any prior knowledge isn't much different from many entrepreneurs, but how did it become a step to creating a new POS system? Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail, the podcast of The Retail Doctor, and I'm your host, Bob Fibbs. In this episode, I'm talking to Jason Heavens, founder and CEO of EPOS, on how he created a technology solution for independent retailers. So Jason, how did you get started in retail? Yeah, it's a good question. So everything, I, I came up with the business idea in retail and, and kind of when I saw the opportunity to jump on this podcast, it's quite interesting because uh, a, um, a lot of brilliant businesses obviously are born in retail and they uh, and my sort of background was um, I first my first kind of ever job was on like a sweet counter, and then my second job was in retail. So I worked. Uh, how, how old were you with your sweet counter? Um, high school job. No, for, yeah, about fifteen. High school job, fifteen, sixteen. Sweet counter job, um, quite stressful. Uh, cakes going off, uh, ice cream, loads of screaming kids, getting it right. I think it was a really good grounding. Um, you know, how, learning how to interface with customers. Uh, learning how to get things right, you know, that was a really great grounding. And then my next job was in retail, um, where I worked at like a, it's like a Costco, but in the UK, it's PC world. And I was working uh, on the tills and dealing with the, 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 the POS systems is what we do now. But yeah, that was my first exposure to kind of retail. And um, yeah, I remember in the PC world, so the job was really sitting on the, sitting on the tills, and I remember some guy came in, he bought, PCs were expensive back then. Yeah, I'm 36 now, so I was like 18 then. And I remember some guy coming in um, with his girlfriend, he bought a PC for cash. I thought, wow, that guy is loaded. He's got so much money. It was unbelievable. I couldn't really believe, you know, how someone could have so much money. So I thought, right, I need, and that's kind of the interaction of customers and retail and that tangible sort of physical presence. You know, you really learn a lot from your customers. At that stage, I thought, you know, it would be, you know, pretty sweet one day to be able to buy a computer, you know, with cash. I said, hey, do you want to, do you want to learn how to sort of sell the computers? So I was like, yeah, brilliant. Okay. So the next kind of job on that was selling the computers in the store. And, um, and yeah, that was, that, that got me into kind of a sales background. And from then, uh, I went into more commercial sales away for retail, um, for a number of years. And I thought, I want to get back onto the high street. So that's when I bought kind of a leasehold bar and set up a little bar and a, a bistro on the high street. I started the business and it was, uh, it was going okay, but I wanted to get a bit of time between myself and the business and step away from it and decide whether I wanted to scale it or anything. And that's when I came up with the idea of the POS. Because actually, when, when, I, when I had that business, I phoned up. Uh, the POS company and tried to Google it. And there was no one on Google, right? Selling this system that I needed to you know, free myself from the day to day and to protect the business. And that's when I kind of came up the idea of EPOS now. There was other retailers or hospitality businesses just like me didn't have the money at that point to buy them. I mean, the technology was so expensive back then. We're talking about nine years where the idea for EPOS now kind of birthed. So tell me, uh, let's go back to the bar. Had you ever run a bar before? No, never ran a bar before at all. <laughs> yeah, so just curious the 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 uh, mindset there. I've never done it before. I want to be up till what two or three in the morning, mixing drinks in an in an, uh, a a retail establishment where profits often are free pours and everything else going down the drain. So was this something that you took a lot of time to decide, or was it more of an emotion? And then what was the learning curve uh, when you got to that, Jason? 
So n- what we know now, right, is hospitality businesses like that are very risky and they come up with a lot of startup costs. But at the time, it was, it was, it was very much just, um, just a kind of pivot. I knew some friends. They were promoters. They were doing uh, promotions in other people's bars. So we had a way to acquire customers and we had a route in with these promotions. It was like a live music kind of bar as well. So I thought, why not give it a crack? As simple as that, really. Why not wow. risk it and give it a go? You know, we were talking about the high street, and um, the high street has changed in uh, in the UK. Is that is that correct? I mean, is it is it become a lane, uh, more of the uh, franchise and quick serve restaurants and name brands, and the little guys are out, or yeah. what's going on over there? Yeah, good question. So, so I've got I've got the I've got the kind of lowdown on all three regions: so Australia, US, and UK. So, UK is com- mostly completely all chains now. Now, the UK is unique because it's so small. Um, big chains can dominate quite quickly. There's very little regional differences. Mm. So, if you take a walk down the high street, you'll have Starbucks, McDonald's, uh, Burger King, uh, Top Shop, Zara. So, almost all be chains along the main front. And only the strong independents, they only really exist off, off the main drag. They can only really afford it outside the shopping centers in the high street. So it's almost exclusively driven by high street chains. Now, the US is a little bit different where the malls are all chains and big businesses. But the high streets, which not many people use anymore because of these malls, they're mostly independents. But they've got big regional differences because... You know, some people in Texas might have different hopes and wants and demands to someone in, say, um, you know, Florida or Alaska or somewhere like that, right? So it's different and regional. Now, so you, tra- you still get that. You're still able to get that difference, whereas it's kind of a monoculture in the UK. UK is more, more mono. UK is more monoculture. It's much yeah. more big businesses. Much, much more. And but Australia, I mean, if you're any of your listeners have ever been there, Starbucks couldn't make it work in Australia, right? Right. right. And then Amazon, right? So I went there and started a business, bought a business there, and I tried to buy a table tennis table. In Orlando, right, I can get that stuff same day, UK next day, yeah? Off Amazon is five days in Australia, in near Brisbane, right? So Amazon and all the big chains, they just don't exist down the high street. It's crazy. It's totally different. Now, is that just a matter of they don't exist yet? <laughs> because, um, you know, the, the thing that makes it so... I think so hard for Australia to compete in New Zealand, right, is the, everything has to pretty much be shipped there. So um, in some ways, it's kind of like Hawaii. It's, 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 not, it's not native to most of these brands. Um, but everybody's afraid of online, aren't they? I mean, that it's just a matter of time in Australia? Well, you'd think that, right? So we, we did think that. And that's, that's what we did. So from, from a, remember, this is, our, this is my game now in retail. Whereas before I was a retailer, now I'm supplying retailers. So my kind of job when I was over there is to kind of understand that and think, you know, why is there, UK and US are very culturally similar when it comes to retail. Why are these guys so different, right? But the, so the first night I got there, um, I got there and I went out for a meal at 7 p.m., right? And everyone stacking chairs. And you're like, what's going on, right? <laughs> Because the thing is with, with Australia is, especially on the, on the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast, everyone gets up at like 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. and they go to bed at like 8 or 9 a.m. So the retailers, they kind of just have one shift, right? And then the restaurants are packed out at 6 a.m. before work. It's really weird, right? That cafe culture. And um, even the chains, like you've got Coffee Club over there, it's a change. They, they have a chef, so they don't really have pre-prepared food. So you get like Vitality Bowls. 
it, it's just a where 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 we go there on the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast. It's a much more healthier lifestyle. Whereas you 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 hold that to the UK or the US, where they're culturally quite similar, where where everyone kind of gets up later at a weekend, stays up much later, right? And and the food's much more on the go, kind of quick service. You know, give it to me now, and Uber Eats is kind of available everywhere. You know maybe there is some definite cultural changes in Australia where they're more, they're more interested in fresh food. So I mentioned like, you know, do you guys ever get like Nando's or McDonald's, you know, or Burger King? And they were like, um, nah, not really. And Starbucks can make it here. We're only interested in like fresh ingredients, freshly cooked. And I was like, wow, you know, it's a brilliant place. That is interesting. So that's, uh, and then as far as the online shopping, they don't, know about it as much or they don't care i think that's the challenge certainly in the u.s that um adoption is quick it's certainly not nearly as quick as it has been in asia but um that it's still building momentum uh in being picked off by little niche players but it doesn't sound like in australia that's the case no it's not the case i mean most people in australia are shopping the, the, the odd thing is right what's slowing down what's slowing down the online e-commerce and giving the bricks and mortar in the retail um, much more strength is, is the internet as well, right? So the internet's not great. I know this sounds bizarre, yeah, coming from, uh, you know, the UK, the USA. First thing you notice in a hotel is you can't access your CRMs and your emails very easy. So, you know, internet connections, they aren't very good out there at all. I mean, they're, they're working on that right now. And they, they, the government failed something where they were going to do Wi-Fi units linking everywhere, but it become too expensive. So good quality internet, it's really hard to get around. Mm. So the level of adoption of the internet is much lower. And obviously the, um, the space between you know, towns and cities is higher as well. So delivery cost is higher. So population is more densely spread out in a larger area. You have, uh, you have internet, which is problematic. So because of that, it's very, been very, very hard for Amazon to penetrate that region. So what you have then is you have really regionalized um, shop. So I met a bar owner over there that had six or seven bars in the same sort of region. So you don't really see that, you know, in the UK, the US, where you see re- you know, really strong kind of a family-owned regional chains. And even in retail as well, you go to like a restaurant, they also have ga- gaming and gambling in the restaurant, which is weird too. Wow. So it, yeah, so you have these little <laughs> poking machines, like slot machines, where you have to be like a member. And and on the restaurants and bars over there, 60, 75% of the bars takings will be gambling, right? Wow. It sounds like Vegas. Well, it's not quite as fun as Vegas because it's not machines, but I suppose that can give you a little bit of a thrill. I guess that's the idea. I mean, that's kind of amazing. If our listeners, how many of you, if you could add gambling that would give you 75% of your, your uh, 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 revenue would do it in a heartbeat. I mean, wow, that's that's it. You know, in the US, we've seen so many big retailers are now adding restaurants and bars and things like that. Kind of like, you know, get them drunk and hopefully they'll buy more. And that seems to be a big, uh, a big trend that everyone is still looking at uh, where that's going. And, you know, as simple a concept as Ikea with their food or whatever their if funny names were, uh, what, 30 years ago, and everybody seems to be catching on. But even then, that's the story of retail, right? Because that's what department stores did back in the 30s. That yeah. everything old is new again, right? Like, oh, it's cutting edge. We're allowing people to sit down and couches and, and seating in the stores. Like, well, that's not cutting edge. Yeah, but we're saying it's cutting edge. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, okay. So where do you see retail going in those three markets? You know, I think Brexit yeah. is going to be a big kick in the uh, – 
pants the UK one way or the other. The US, we still have this idea of political confusion on what we're in an election year. And then, of course, you've got the fires in Australia, and everybody's going to be talking and dealing with this whole coronavirus thing. So, exactly. And the thing is, when you look, when I guess, I guess for our listeners there who have a global business, I guess when you start building a global business, you know, those geopolitical events, you know, they massively affect you. You know, the, um, you, you, know you talk about the Trump administration, that, that Chinese trade deal and the Asian trade deal, like some of our equipment comes from over there. So all of a sudden you've got 25% more, um, you know, on the imports. And that really hurts. You know, Brexit hurt medium term, but now you're looking at, you know, all those contracts now need to be renegotiated. So I guess you're kind of looking now at, actually, will you get a better deal coming out of that? And then this obviously coronavirus, just a dreadful, you know, force majeure event that's really, um, that's really hit everyone. But I think you hit the nail on the head earlier, right? You're talking about experiences. So you think about people adding multiple service for revenue streams, right? And that's kind of the crux of the issue. So one theme we're seeing, so say, for example, we've got 30,000, you know, bricks and mortar uh, customers, more locations. What's the kind of common theme we're seeing for retailers across that, right? And it's, and it, it is basically this. It's... Um, you know, there, there was a time where you could sell the same thing as Amazon and expect different results. So if you're, let's say you're selling the same things as someone can get same day, yeah, from Amazon, you know, that's where you're going to see massive disruption. You know, previously, you know, everyone was talking about big companies being disrupted, but now we're seeing all of the, all of the retailers become disrupted now, right? And what we see, the people who are bucking that trend is like you mentioned earlier, is yes, people offering experiences, but people offering different things that you can't potentially buy. So talk about maybe if you had a shop, right, and you source local, you know, local meats and rare breed sausages and, and vegetarian options that are locally grown and sourced, yeah, that can't be brought online or through the big chains. We see those shops thriving because they're offering something unique that can only be purchased or brought there. And we also see like um, experience-led places, like you mentioned earlier about adding bars, but we see you know, trampoline parks, adding bars, adding bowling, adding cinemas. And we see the cinemas being filled, you know, we see the mouths being filled up with cinemas and experiences. You know, adding unique experience that can only be experienced there and adding unique products and services that can only be bought there, that's where people are going to win out. It's not just offering convenience anymore. So the big pain points, people that are failing, failing are the people that are selling the same stuff as more convenient options. So I think it's well, up to us to go back to the board and have a rethink about what, you know, how we integrate our customers. This season is sponsored by Springboard Retail POS. You know, one of the biggest challenges I hear from listeners, and whether they're selling from a store, from trunk shows, pop-ups, or just online, is that they want great, easy-to-use data. On top of that, they want customizable reporting. Well, that's where Springboard Retail comes in. Their best-in-class reporting helps you run a best-in-class retail operation. Higher sales, higher margins, and faster sell-through. Springboard Retail's customer success team will help you get all of your historical data into Springboard and get you up and running in a flash with a one-on-one -on -one personalized onboarding experience that's run by actual humans. And now it's even easier for you listeners to supercharge your business with Springboard Retail POS. Just visit springboardretail.com forward slash retail doc and you'll receive 20% off your first year. Now back to the show. Well, that's the challenge, isn't it? That 80% um, of your customers uh, can buy 80% of your merchandise through somebody else whether it's online or retail, and there's always somebody cheaper. So if all those levels lovers don't work anymore, which used to work in the 50s and 60s, 
and there is no scarcity because that used to be another level we'd say like oh you can only get this product here that's just not that's not working in 2020 and i think we're you know i've said it before in this program i think we are going back it's a little us centric of my idea but uh, i think we're going back to the time of the pilgrims where um, every shop owner just wants to take care of their local customer. We saw it with the craft beers in uh, the U.S. that, you know, they just want to open this one place and they don't have to say, oh, and we're going to end up being the chilies of uh, craft beers. They just want to do a really good job. They want to have a work-life balance. And then they want to be super curated on whoever is in charge. So if you're looking for a, um, you know, if you're looking for home products, that it's a really tight idea of what this brand offers versus we got everything. You know, it's that difference between walking into a menu that's got 16 pages. You know, there's seafood and there's chicken and there's sushi and the and versus one page where the chef has done the hard work and said, these are the 10 I can do really well. And I'm going to really give you 10 that are really well. And I think that's going to be the future for, for smart retailers is understanding that um, the mass idea of we have to compete with everybody else is actually a recipe for disaster. Would you agree? Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. You're talking complete sense there. The idea of sacking them high and selling them it, you can't compete with Amazon. They've gone away and wiped everyone out. So if you're selling the same things as a Walmart, as an Amazon, you're absolutely in trouble. And you're, you're, you're explaining the concept of, of being able to offer something completely unique, you know, what they, what they can't offer you know, is, is absolutely the right move. Slimming down that menu, um, having a real, you know, niche that you focus on, that's key to success and no one else can compete. Like craft beers are having an explosion, you know, and they're locally produced, locally sourced. And, you know, they're not the Budweiser or the Stellas that everyone else can offer. You know, that, that's where you're going to sell something unique and people are going to come to you specifically for that. But absolutely. absolutely. What, so what's the best or worst advice that you've ever received you can start all the way back to the sweet shop all the way up. I'll let you choose. The worst advice in retail I've ever experienced was, uh, was when they just, when, when I first started, someone said, right, you've got to be open all the time because if you're open, someone might walk in and buy a pint or have a meal. So when I first started in retail, I just tried to be open all the time. Now that was the, that was the biggest mistake that we kind of done. What we should have done is really understood our customer you know, understood when our busy points were and really try to focus on those areas that were most convenient to the customer. So I think being trying to be available all the time, you know, again, trying to compete with larger companies, that doesn't, you don't need to be that way because your customers will trust you. Uh, that was the worst advice that I probably took and that, that caused a little bit of burnout and that will probably sure. resonate on the listeners. And I think the best thing we kind of did is, is one thing we haven't touched on is, is what we see a lot of success and what I did early on is implement, implement the technology system. I know I'm biased because I run the company, but what we see, what we see is if businesses like now have to think like a technology business, and that segues into what you said before, if you can build a loyalty platform and really communicate with those customers. So let's say you're doing the craft brewery is a good example. If you can uh, build a following and become a collect the details of people that are interested in the products you sell so you can engage with them on another level, bring them to your tasting events and build a community around the products and services you sell and keep them engaged and make them feel part of something. That's what technology is great at doing. You know, it's, it's great at making your business really streamlined, but it's also building a community and you've got to be thinking like a technology business. We've all had that text from Amazon, you know, where we've said we wanted a different item and it tells us what item we want. 
You know, they're, they're trying to build data on us and build a community. And a great technology system can really build that ecosystem for your customers too. And I wouldn't overlook trying to think like a technology business in that regard. Yeah, I think it's about building your tribe around you. That's certainly, that's certainly it. Um, so tell me something good about retail. What do you like about retail? Do you know what I really like? I, re- I really like now, I honestly really like this movement that we've been talking about on this call. I like the fact that, hey, I can't just open up a corner shop and sell exactly the same bacon, eggs, and ham as Walmart does 10 feet down the street and expect people to just come and see me. I like the diversity you're building now where people know that to be a business, I've got to do something completely different. So when you walk into, you know, when you walk into that business now, you can get a completely different look and feel. You mentioned earlier about curating a unique meal and focusing on what the chef does really well. Now, people are having to think differently to be successful, and they will be successful but they'll just have to be successful in a unique way. So I like the idea now of going to these unique places and these unique experiences retailers have created. And I think technology is enabling that in more ways than it has ever before. And, and that's what I'm really loving about retail at the moment. I'm loving these concepts. Yeah, I love that idea that um, you know when you are creatively, you go into the game thinking, all right, I have to be more creative that it's not a given, then the battle is what makes it fun, not the, um, oh, well, I'll just open a shop and I'll be just like Costco, except I'll be cheaper, which frankly isn't going to work. And you're not going to be able to have the money to be able to do that. So why not um, be yourself, which is always good. So how do we find out more about you and your company? Well, great. You, um, you can head on to the website. It's www.eposnow.com or you can chuck uh, eposnow, E-P-O-S-N-O-W in Google. And then, uh, and then go from there. Very good. Well, I appreciate your time today and safe travels around the world as you're talking to your vendors and partners. Brilliant, Bob. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to my guest, Jason Heavens. I enjoyed speaking about the differences around the world in online retailing, chains, and the high street, and how retailers are making a difference in people's lives. Now, on next week's episode, I'll be speaking with Shlomo Chop with the Anchor Shops. They're a collection of emerging brands born online but made available to purchase in-store. You won't want to miss it. I'm Bob Fibbs, The Retail Doctor. Thanks again for listening. Tell Me Something Good About Retail is the podcast of The Retail Doctor. Visit RetailDoc.com to learn what makes Bob Fibbs the authority on brick-and-mortar retail across the world who works with some of the biggest brands all the way down to the smallest mom-and-pops. As a listener of the Tell Me Something Good About Retail podcast, you can receive free information and guides when you visit RetailDOC.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. For more information, to access the complete archives of past retail goodness, and to see about Bob speaking to your audience, please visit RetailDoc.com.